When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Talking Transfers, a brand new show from the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by 90 Min's transfer correspondent as ever, Graham Bailey. How are you today, mate? I'm doing great. Thanks, Scott. Fantastic to hear, Graham. We're also joined today by a special guest. I'll get to you in a second, but this is a brand new weekly show where we'll dig into the latest on the futures of the biggest names in world football, be it players or managers. And on today's edition, as I was just mentioning, we are joined by 90 Min's head of UK content or Top Cat or TC, uh, as we've uh, christened you in recent weeks. Toby Cudworth, big debut for you, Toby. How are you doing today? Big day for me, mate. Big day. Um, enjoying it with a nice bout of hay fever, swollen face, can't stop sniffing, coughing. But other than that, excited to be here and um, looking forward to talking transfers. Fantastic. Yeah, hay fever hasn't hit me quite yet, but uh, I don't know whether you can pick it up in my voice. I've been hit by a bout of flu. It's not COVID. I've never had COVID. I don't know how, but this thing feels like it. So um, apologies if I sound a little bit nasal, but today... We'll get into a bunch of different topics. We'll talk about Erling Haaland. He's been in the news over the last few days, linked to Manchester City for a long, long time now. And it seems like it could be moving in that direction. We'll talk a bit of City. We'll talk about their transfer policy. I'm going to ask a couple of questions to you guys on that. We'll talk Thomas Suchek and West Ham. We'll also look at some West Ham players, Jared Bowen, Kurt Zuma, Declan Rice, and some interest in him from Chelsea. We'll also do a big section on Chelsea as well around their midfield and Romelu Lukaku. And also a little surprise at the end around Fulham and some ambitious transfer business that we'll we'll just call it and leave it at that. We'll come to Graham at the end of the show for the latest on their transfer targets for the, for the summer as they return to the Premier League. But let's start with Erling Haaland, Graham. Uh, early this week, released a story on nightmin.com around his future and Manchester City's interest in him. We know that they've been interested in him for a long, long time. Uh, City obviously were chasing Harry Kane last summer, did not get that deal over the line, but they have turned their attention in a sense to Erling Haaland as the kind of main transfer target to fill in that number nine role that doesn't really exist at City at the moment. They've also signed Julian Alvarez for the summer, but Erling Haaland is on the agenda as well. So what's the latest that you can tell us, Graham, around the Norwegians' future at Bruce Dortmund? Yeah, we did a, a first piece on Good Friday that City, we got confirmation from City's end that we're pressing ahead with a, with this deal. Talks are continuing. The release clause in theory has to be not triggered, but it has to be put in writing by the end of the month from the player and from City, etc. City are talking to Dortmund, still hoping that they can do some sort of normal transfer deal. So they pay maybe a little bit more and do it over a certain 
amounts. Not that City have a problem paying 63 million, you know, they'll find that quite easily, but it just means for financial fair play, it's easier to fit in if it did it in segments. Well, Graham, that, that 63 million would be like a one upfront payment as well. Yeah, that's with all clauses, you have to pay that. I still haven't had confirmation of when that would need to be paid. I'd imagine it would be July 1st because that's when the deal would go through. So even though the the clause would be triggered in theory at the end of this month because Haaland isn't moving. He would still be under contract to Dortmund until July 1st. It would, the clause wouldn't have to be paid until July. But we just have to confirm it in writing, etc. So that they're doing that whilst also talking to the player. We did reveal, again, earlier week that Alf Inger, the father of uh, Erlen, is taking a more hands-on approach to this at the moment. He's he's doing things. I've been told things like securing. He wants to know will will he be will he, will he be taking penalties and stuff like that, for instance. And that sounds a bit petty, but it's not. It's just interesting of of deals. To be fair, though, City it's have a lot of trouble with penalties generally. Don't yeah. They? And, and it is, it's, you know, he, he wants to know, it's little things like that. Will he get to take the penalties? And it's, it sounds a bit silly, but, you know, you want to know these things. If you don't ask a, if you don't ask a question, you'll never know. So he wants to know this. He wants to know his future plans um, at the club, where he fits in, in the system. So we're getting to that point now where he, he knows what City wants. And this has comes on the backdrop of interest from Real Madrid by Munich, Barcelona. A lot of these teams would love Haaland and, and, and have held talks to him and would like him, but all their deals have been, if this happens, then we'll do this for you. So PSG, if Mbappe leaves, we'll do this for you. By Munich, if Lewandowski leaves, we'll do this for you. City are the only ones who have a clear path at him. And that's been an advantage to them. And yeah, they are now firm favourites. They're in poor position. And it was described to me as probably 80% done now, 80-20 to City. And I believe that. I think they're very much on course to land him now. Graham, would you say that... I have seen reports from elsewhere, and I think it might have factored into ours as well, our reporting that maybe Haaland dreams of potentially a move to Spain uh, and... Real Madrid have been, you know, it's the club that a lot of players do dream of, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Um, Real Madrid, as we've previously reported for a long time on Nightmen.com and on this podcast in recent weeks as well, they obviously firmly into Kylian Mbappe. Um, Haaland's first choice, do, do we think that that's City now? Is it a case where he's had to kind of convince himself that City's the right way to go? Does he still think of a move to Spain down the line? What do you know about that? I think so. I think a lot of these world-class players want to play in all the leagues. You know, if you want to be regarded, we, we, we touched on this with Mo Salah previously, where he wants to be known as the best African player of all time. To do that, he knows he needs to probably go and play in Spain for Real Madrid and Barcelona as well. So Haaland, not, playing for City, is a, it, it was his childhood club. But he used to sit on the sidelines with Gio Reyna, his, his now Dortmund team, teammate, watching their fathers play. It's quite romantic in today's money, money, money society. It's quite a romantic move that he's going to go and play for his dad's team. And yeah, I imagine in four or five years, if he does what we think, if he wins everything he can at City, which, you know, he's going to win silverware there no matter what, that a move to Spain will, will come to fruition. And from my part, I was I was always intrigued by the Barcelona link, you know, and I think those in La Liga would have loved to have seen Haaland and Mbappe going head to head. I think we probably will see that in the future, but no, for the for the moment, you know, we don't expect anyone to spend 10 years at a club nowadays, do we? So I think that will be a future plan. But yeah, City is is one of his dream clubs, and we can't deny that. He's always he's supported City since he was a child. So yeah, I don't I think playing Spain is an ambition of his, but yeah. Um, I think City was a dream move for him as well. Born in Leeds, famously, has been mm. seen wearing 
a well, he's worn lead shirts as well in the past. I've, there's obviously that famous photo of him going around, uh, sat on a sofa, I think, with a, a Man City top on mm. when he was a kid as well. So, you know, it does make a lot of sense for him. It, it's definitely, at the moment, the Premier League's the most competitive league in the world. The best the best teams are here. I hope I'm not speaking too soon there because Real Madrid might have something to say about that. And maybe Villarreal in the Champions League. But uh, we'll see in the next few weeks. It does look like Liverpool and City are the strongest outfits in the Champions League at the moment. But obviously that is approaching. Those fixtures are coming up. Um, Dortmund went out of the Champions League quite early this season. So he's he will hopefully be playing a part in that competition in years to come if he does join City. But Toby, I want to bring you in here. Um, I've noticed, well, maybe this is just an opinion for me, but I look at the Jack Grealish transfer last year, a little bit out of character for City, I thought. Did they really need Jack Grealish? Did they really need to spend £100 million on a player? Um, I know he's been okay in patches and City fans will defend him, but I don't know whether he's completely lived up to the hype that he came with. This, with the kind of money involved in terms of not so much a transfer fee, but the wages and all of these additional fees and that kind of stuff, is that a character for City, do you think? It is a bit, although we have seen that if City want a player they're generally willing to pay up and go and get them. They've spent big money on Kevin De Bruyne in the past, Bernardo Silva, Kyle Walker, all deals that are worth £50 million or more. And then they pushed the boat out further to get Grealish last year, a player I didn't think they really needed, to be honest. I think they needed a centre-forward last summer. Um, They didn't get one. And I think Grealish was kind of a, a backup plan. City would never admit to that being the case, but... We've seen that they've tinkered with their front line this season. We've had Phil Foden playing up there for the majority of the time. His biggest um, fanboy is on this podcast. He is, so I won't say anything too negative about him. And he's he's been brilliant in that role, to be fair to him. Um, but we also saw Ferran Torres playing centre-forward. So it's evident City need a striker. Haaland is probably the best in the business in terms of goal-scoring record. But there are concerns as well about his injury records. I had a quick look before we began the podcast he's had three separate injury spells this season missed the best part of three months for Borussia Dortmund and okay the numbers don't lie in terms of the goals that he scored and what he can bring to a team but a hundred million pounds plus all of the additional fees that Graham's alluded to is a big big investment and I too don't see him being at City for more than four or five years I can see it being similar career arc to Ronaldo in a way of that he did his formative years at Manchester United, really, really got to the top of the game. I think Haaland's on his way to the very top, but he's not there yet. And then when he's 25, 26, has got a few titles under his belt with City, has hopefully won the Champions League by then, he will then pursue that ultimate dream move to Real Madrid, where he will be at the peak of his career and will probably be there six, seven, eight years. But for City, they obviously have the resources to do this time and time again. So... For any other club, 100 million or whatever the money is all in would be out of character. They've got it. They can do it. Um, And it makes sense for them to go and get goals because although they are top of the league, they haven't got a regular and consistent goal source. They're relying on lots of players chipping in. Um, I don't actually know who their top scorer is this season, but I don't think it's any higher than, what, 11 or 12 league goals, which for a team top of the table is also unusual. Absolutely. Uh, I think it is, obviously, it's the one glaring hole in City squad. I think plenty of people have alluded to it. I think everyone was quite certain that Harry Kane would have been 
a great fit last summer that did not come off. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about Harry Kane in the coming weeks and future episodes and this kind of thing. Um, but in terms of Erling Haaland, uh, Graham, do you think you, you mentioned it was 80% there just now? Do you think this one is something that will be put into bed quite soon? Or yeah, any twists to come? Yeah, I do. The only twist I could see um, could be Chelsea getting possibly rid of Lukaku, etc. will come out of Chelsea in the moment. They liked him last summer. But whether this takeover can be done in time, because, you know, they do have Champions League football to offer. They've got living in London to offer, which Harlem might like. But, yeah, I would think they would be the only real late challenges now. We know Bayern Munich, Oliver Kahn spoke, but he confirmed he was looking, he looked at the Harlem deal and, I think they I think Bayern would have liked to have taken Haaland if they could have moved Lewandowski to Barcelona. I think that would have been a perfect summer for Bayern. That doesn't look like that's going to come to fruition now. Milan's new owners aren't going to come in in time for them. PSG, you know, there's not there's always enough on the table for him, but I don't think he holds any real um a sense of urgent, yeah, to PSG, you know, he doesn't want to follow in Mbappe's footsteps so much. He's already got a bit bitter towards Mbappe, isn't he? He knows Mbappe is Real Madrid's first choice, which I think has been his real, and not annoyance, but his real hesitancy towards Real Madrid. He knows he's second choice there. We, we, we all know that. And I think that's played a big role in this City thing as well, where he's not going to hang on from Real Madrid just in case they don't get Mbappe, because that'll just be hung around his neck for his entire career at Real Madrid. You're always second choice. The Spanish media wouldn't let him forget it, would they? <laughs> we know how the Spanish media treat players. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice to maybe see a revival of the Ronaldo Messi era with Mbappe versus Haaland, if he'd have turned up at Barcelona, if they could have... I actually kind of fancied Barcelona for a little while to actually pull that deal off. But, you know, uh, it's a bit of a mess there at the moment. So that's not to be as it looks. Uh, But, Toby, we'll talk West Ham in a second. Uh, I'm quite disappointed, actually, um, because I was was looking at a little crossover or segue here from Barcelona to West Ham, and I was like, I was hoping all season for a Barcelona-West Ham Europa League tie. And the one time we get to actually touching distance of it happening, West Ham beat Lyon and make a semi-final of the Europa League. Barcelona, new camp, waiting to be visited. And then they go and bottle it. Well, believe me, you're not the only one disappointed. Um, <laughs> this Europa League run has obviously been far greater than any West, West Ham fan thought it could possibly have gone. Just being in the group stages was a great experience for us and then seeing Barca drop out it was kind of the glamour tie that I think every team dreamed of having and then it was within touching distance and then Frankfurt muscling and stun Barca who have looked better in the last six weeks or so but they seem to be going back to their old ways so a lot of problems and of course that now opens up the path to the Europa League final which is a crazy thing to say but it's a realistic possibility now. Definitely, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for West Ham. Actually, um, but Europa League final, we've all we've all been there, guys. Look at that program in the back. There you go. That's Middlesbrough. That's Middlesbrough's UEFA Cup. We've all been there, Toby. Sorry. But for those who are just listening, obviously we're, we're on a Zoom call here, so uh, Graham has a lot of uh, is it memorabilia? What's the right word for it? Yeah, Middlesbrough in England stuff. Yeah, it's World Cup program, but it's all Middlesbrough's stuff. First European game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. A lot of that Gallic in the Cup background. Final. Yes, indeed. Uh, so let's talk. Let's talk West Ham then, because. As Toby mentions, it's kind of a dream run for West Ham. Uh, Through the Europa League, 
you know, I, I fancy them to go to the final and potentially win it, to be honest. The, the way that they play, the way that David Moyes is getting the most out of that group of players, the belief that's there and all this kind of stuff. But over the last few weeks, uh, we've reported on 90min.com about a number of players and the latest is around Thomas Suchek, who is, I don't know who wants to take this, but potentially looking for a route out of West Ham. Yeah, I'll dive in. Yeah. Um, obviously, with success comes players wanting rewarding and West Ham's success has kind of come out of the blue. So let's not forget two seasons ago, David Moyes was brought in to save a sinking ship. Um, relegation was firmly on the cards. And then a couple of signings came in. Jared Bowen in January, Thomas Socek on loan. Um, COVID hit. And then after we returned from three months of a break, West Ham turned it around. But since then, it's been a huge transformation at the club. They've gone from you know, people considering them as relegation candidates for the following season to a top six finish. And this season, they've gone from strength to strength with, you could say, not minimal investment, but they haven't invested loads in terms of the signings that David Moyes has made. He's just made clever signings. Um, and the fact that West Ham are playing so well, inevitably, players will then, went, will then want rewarding for how they're playing. So new contracts are potentially on the cards for a number of players and parity in terms of pay becomes an issue. So... Graham, we reported last summer when West Ham were going after Kurt Zuma that it was setting a precedent, so to speak, to pay the level of wages that they're paying Zuma if West Ham continued to trend upwards, and they have done. And that's now affecting potential contract talks with Thomas Socek, among others. Yeah, you know, we said Zuma came in there, didn't he, on 140, including add-ons and, and fees, etc., £140,000 a week, which doesn't sound an awful lot in Premier League terms, but in West Ham terms, so I mean, that was huge, wasn't it? It's, it's nearly twice as much as Declan Rice. And, and, and you know, I say you've gone from bottom six to top six. But if you're going to stay there, you have to pay. You have to pay like a top sixteen, and that is a real issue for West Ham. You are you are literally going from um, bottom third of the Premier League in terms of wages paid because you have come a long way in a short space of time. But and I'm sure the West Ham fans would argue, you know, better than me, Tori. But if you are, you've moved into a sixty thousand stadium seat of stadium, you're selling it out. You've got it's a most in London or something, isn't it? Or seeing ticket holder wise. So yeah. you then you, if you you are putting that appearance together with being a top six team so you've got to pay it yeah i think declan rice's situation will touch on slightly different you know he's he's now i would argue outgrowing west ham and that's not a disrespect to him but i think he's a top four player he's a top he's a city liverpool chelsea type player who who if he gets 300 £400,000 a week for his next contract. I don't think anyone would raise too many eyebrows. He's one of the best young players and young midfielders in the world. So I think he's slightly different. But in terms of the suit checks to Jared Bowens, they would be happy to sign new deals, but they want these new deals and they're going to have to surpass Kurt Zuma because I think that's the thing that we said to him when we reported. It's not the fact that Kurt Zuma got that deal, but Kurt Zuma is not West Ham's best player mm. by quite some way. So if he's get, so if the middle of the road player is getting that, then... You know, if, if Zoom is worth 140, what's Bowen worth, Toby? 170, yeah. 200? And that's not being silly. That Jared Bowen has got a lot. And we, as we reported, Jared Bowen, Newcastle looking at him now. Liverpool. Could you just yes. expand on that um, that Jared Bowen report, please? Yeah, Jared Bowen saw Newcastle. Newcastle are going to look at this. They would like an English spine. And obviously, Eddie Howe would like English players to a certain extent. And we can see Jared Bowen, he would fit Newcastle like a glove. You know, we did a report of the moving Alan Sam Maximin on, which 
it's sort of being played down by the club, but then confirmed elsewhere. You know, he wants a new contract, he's not going to get one. But Jared Bowen would be such a great acquisition. And we, and actually, hats off to Jurgen Kloppy. He was the first one to really get into Jared Bowen just after he signed for West Ham, wasn't it, Tobin? I was like, what, Liverpool going for Jared Bowen? But how how correct is, does he look now? He looks, he, he would be ideal, possible he, replacement got, for Mo Salah. He's got all of the attributes that you would kind of attribute to Diogo Jota in mm. a way. He works incredibly hard off the ball. He's intelligent with the runs that he makes. He is left foot dominant, but he can, he is capable with his right foot. He can go inside or outside. And more importantly, he scores goals. Like you say, his goal output this season has been very impressive. He's arguably held West Ham together in a sense because Mikel Antonio's red hot start to the season has faded badly. He's still contrib- contributing in other ways, but he's not scoring goals. He hasn't scored in his last 12. Um, and that's a major concern. So for West Ham to still be in the position that they're in and to be through to the semi-final of the Europa League, a lot of that is down to Bowen. And when he was absent for a few weeks through injury, West Ham really felt it. And that's how important he is to the team, I guess, that any period of time out, there was clamour for him to be back. Everybody wanted to know how long he was going to be away for. Um, Fortunately, it wasn't a bad injury. Circling back round, I guess, to Thomas Sojek, he is equally as important to this West Ham team. Now, he has come in for criticism, perhaps unfairly, from a section of supporters this season because his goal output hasn't been as impressive as it was last year. Uh, well, that so, was abnormal last year. Well, he started every Premier League game last year, scored 10 goals, um, and then went to Euro 2020. He was a key figure for the Czech Republic, so didn't have a break. And then this season, he's played over three and a half thousand minutes of football again for West Ham. He has absolutely run ragged and has also been playing in a different role. Declan Rice has been given a little bit more freedom to go forward this season and has kind of expanded his skill set in a way and has shown that he's more of a box-to-box midfielder, or he can be at the very least. And Socek dropped deep as a result and his goal output has been affected. He's only scored five times. He's looked a little leggy and if you looked at the statistics, his amount of pressures and all of that kind of stuff is way down. But you can't argue that Thomas Socek isn't a key part of West Ham's team. Take him out of midfield. Who goes in alongside Declan Rice? There's no mm. obvious replacement. David Moyes doesn't fancy Alex Crow. That much is apparent because he's only played a couple of games this season. Um, Mark Noble's retiring at the end of the season. Socek is valuable to this West Ham team and he would be open to signing a new contract, but... There seems to be a bit of um, reluctance from West Ham then to reward him with a new contract because he hasn't been playing at that level, which is surprising because he's only got two years left on his deal once we get to this summer. And other clubs are interested in him, Graham. Any, yeah, well, he, uh, any, uh, any potential clubs sniff, sniffing around him? Well, we're hearing now we talk about there is clubs interested, his people... Um... Telling us, you know, um, uh, that there are people interested. We don't quite know who they are yet. It'd be speculation at this point, but it is. It is I'm told it is Premier League interest, and it's not surprising. You know, we, we see the likes of Calvin Phillips now on the market. Look at the job he's done next to next to Rice, and you would you would only have to ask Declan Rice how how important a player Thomas Suchek is. Declan Rice has been phenomenal this season. And he's had that ability to go forward. Looks, he's added that different dimension. And that's been possible thanks to Thomas Sucha next to him. It's one of those where, you know, and I don't, and, and, and as well, Toby, we need to say 
Suchek is not demanding the earth here. He he has he actually isn't demanding more than Zuma. He just wants to be paid um, a proper way. And we're hearing that David Moyes has been maybe a little bit disparaging towards him. And you know he's the Czech Republic captain now, as you said. He had a good Euros, and he's not going to be short of interest. And if West Ham don't want to reward him, someone else will. And I think it'd be a tremendous pickup for any team in top half of the Premier League. Tremendous pickup. It's important to remember that when he joined, West Ham was 17th. And mm. he is the first cog, I guess, in this West Ham wheel that's now regularly challenging the top six and is in the Europa League semi-final. He is a major factor in that turnaround for West Ham. And he's still on the contracts that he agreed when West Ham was struggling. So Yeah, he- when you when when you thought you were going to you were at one point you agreed that twenty you only agreed the twenty million pound fee, didn't you, so because you thought you were going to the championship. Yeah. It was one of these you put in the, the obligation to buy because you thought, oh, we're probably going down here. So we need we need some quality. We probably won't keep him if we go down. So you got him at a good rate at a time, but he's 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 he really does perform next to Rice. And it's one where some fans need to keep an eye on here. We do need to make that decision, Toby, don't we? Need to press on. And I do wonder whether we see your new Czech. And, and, like, and we haven't touched on that, have we? Sorry, your, your new owner, soon to be a new owner in the next few years, we understand, is from the Czech Republic. And uh, you do wonder whether he steps in at some point and, and makes sure his favourite player stays at the club. Yeah, you'd have thought so. West Ham are kind of at a crossroads where they need to strengthen the squad in terms of depth. We've seen that the same starting eleven is playing most of the time, week in, week out. He's, he's almost got lucky, David Moyes, hasn't he? He took that decision in January. Not, yeah. I know West Ham bid for the players, but I'm how serious they were. But he's taken that decision not to spend the money, and you've managed to get through without the extra striker somehow. And he's almost been a bit fortunate, hasn't he, to get through? Well, put it this way: they can't do it again next season. They've been extremely fortunate with injuries. There's been a couple, but nothing major the spine of the team hasn't been ripped out and if that did happen West Ham wouldn't be challenging for the top six that's for sure but they now have to balance bringing in new players because they do need depth but there are at least three or four players Bowen, Sochik included who deserve pay rises Um, so they've got to balance where they're going to allocate the money that they have got Um, and as you say the Czech investment is probably going to need to play a bit of a role in this um, because we've seen over the past that Sullivan, Golden, Brady are perhaps not willing to put in the investment necessarily unless they're absolutely sure. Um, the less we say about the Manuel Pellegrini transfer era, <laughs> I think. But <laughs> you, I, I'm sat here wondering as you guys are talking if Man United have taken Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek out of West Ham's midfield and put it in theirs at Anfield the other day, whether they would have lost 4-0 or whether it would have been a little bit better um, it, it does. It does get me thinking. We saw the rice in linked to United, and and I do. You pay whatever for rice, hundred and twenty million, whatever it might be. If I if I was United, do you know what? I'd just say, well, there's another forty. We'll have Suchek as well. And then I, I would honestly, I would do that. It's it, it's just you ready made midfield. I I hey, if you want, if throw Fred and McFred to West Ham if they want them, and Phil Jones and the they, I honestly I would. I, not I glamorous it's... enough, Graham, for Manchester United. Not glamorous <laughs> enough. But we'll I'm, we'll talk about them in the next few weeks. It looks like Eric Ten Hag will be confirmed as their new manager at some point. We're not going to do any uh, real depth on that today. But Declan Rice is obviously a player that United want. We've reported that uh, in previous episodes, and we've reported that on the website as well. Uh, you can go back and check that out. Chelsea have also been interested in Declan Rice for a long time. Uh, and that is a nice segue into talking about Chelsea. 
So uh, some reports uh, that we've published on nightymen.com over the last few weeks uh, and recently as well, I think maybe this week too, around their midfield and around Romelu Lukaku. So let's start with Lukaku and Graham, I'll come to you on this first. Uh, Yourself and Christian Davis reported, uh, I believe, in the last few days that Chelsea are essentially open to selling Romelu Lukaku. It's not worked out for him. They spent close to 100 million on him last summer. Uh, funnily enough, Chelsea played Arsenal in midweek and in the reverse game, in I think it was the second weekend of the season, he scored a tap-in at the Emirates and everyone was like, wow, this Lukaku, man, he's going to turn Chelsea into title winners. Everyone fancied Chelsea, but it's not worked out that way at all uh, this season. So is there is there a way, Graham, that Lukaku can salvage his career or is, is this a Chelsea open to selling him because they know that they will be selling him? Yeah, they are open to selling him. I think it's because a lot of factors. I don't think Thomas Tuchel and he are getting on amazingly well. I think it's an issue that can that could be resolved. Of course it could. Thomas Tuchel is a world-class coach. Whether Romelu Lukaku is a world-class striker, we, we could, that's open to debate. But I think with, with Lukaku, you know, he's a, he was a marquee signing of the Roman Abramovich era. He was a Roman signing. So what better way, in some ways, to move on from Roman Abramovich than signing his pet pro- than selling his pet project? I think that would be a great. I I like Romelu. I think he should stay. But I think if you're a new Chelsea owner, what better way to move on from the Roman era than selling Romelu Lukaku? You know, and talk about selling. Inter is still owed quite a lot of money on Lukaku. It'd be a very easy move to move him back there. Inter they're going to lose Lautaro Martinez, but. Lukaku and maybe Dybala, there's an upgrade there for them. And, and you know, as I've said before on, on the show, I think Chelsea have got a lot of work to do in that final third. I think, and I've said this before, Zayic, Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic and Werner. They need to get rid of those four, scrap them four. If you're talking about Chelsea's team now, it, they wouldn't miss them. Them four uh, do not do anything. Timo's having a, a renaissance in form. No, they're not good enough. They're, them, them four are not good enough. They wouldn't get anywhere near Liverpool and City. And that's where Chelsea are. If they make signings in the team, you need to, you're competing with Chelsea and Liverpool. Sorry, you're competing with Man City and Liverpool. That's where Chelsea are. And so it's all, you're not building for the future. And those four are just not good enough. Zayic, Pulisic and Werner, I think have been disaster, absolute disasters. And and where Chelsea have got to be careful now is you're coming out the Roman Abramovich era where you could make these mistakes. You could go and get Werner. Well, we'll lose 20 million on him. Who cares? Romans there. They're going to have their recruitment is going to have to get better. It's going to be after up to the City Liverpool where nine out of 10, you have to hit home runs with nine out of 10 signs if you want to keep up with that. And I think that's what they're looking at. They've been very careful. And I think, I think they move, will move on from Lukaku because out of all, they can't get rid of all those players that are named, but I think Lukaku is probably one of the easier ones to move on. So I think they will. Uh, I believe that Toby, that I believe we reported PSG interest in Lukaku as well. Uh, what makes sense for you with Lukaku? To be honest, I think the most obvious thing is for Lukaku to go back to Serie A. He looked incredibly comfortable there. He was brilliant for Inter for two seasons. He and Martinez, I know Martinez is looking likely to leave. They made Inter into the team that they are now, in a way. Um, they were a fantastic duo who had kind of a telepathic understanding and Antonio Conte's coaching methods got the best out of them. I can't see Lukaku going to PSG in all truth. I can understand the link. Um but I just don't see Lukaku fitting in necessarily with how PSG play. Um, 
And I think he's been quite open. He yeah, of course. Yeah. How did PSG play though? It's just leave the well, front nobody, three at the front, right? With with, with Ronaldo. With Ronaldo, <laughs> it'll be the answer in three months. With Ronaldo, <laughs> Lukaku just seemed to. He's spoken fondly of his time at Inter as well, hasn't he? We had that bizarre interview where he was. Probably, um... I think I think Conte and Paratici would love him at Tottenham, but obviously that's not. Gonna yeah, happen. I, yeah. Can you imagine a Harry Kane, Romelu Lukaku front two. Imagine Harry Kane Lukaku swap deal. <laughs> I, I still think Romelu Lukaku has got a lot to offer. When he was at Manchester United, he was getting slated as well. Towards we were the, together on this, weren't we? And we were united in that Lukaku's got a cracking goal record. He brings so much. He unfortunately just doesn't fit into what... It was that thing, was it? 12, 20 goals a season isn't good enough. We want that more. We want that edge and spark. But now if you offered it to them, it's, it was it was a guaranteed 20 goals a season, man, in the Premier League, wasn't he? he really often, was. often not used properly either. And I think that's probably been the case at Chelsea as well. Yeah, well, Romelu didn't like Oli Gunnar and uh, I think he's been proven right in that regard as a coach. Uh, let's also talk... A- bit more about Chelsea in their midfield, a report that we've uh, established earlier this week uh, around just a bunch of decisions to be made in midfield, really. Uh, Graham, you're in a better position to talk about this than I am, but it involves potential incomings. Obviously, Declan Rice, as we mentioned, is is interesting Chelsea, but he's going to have such a massive price tag on him that is it impo- not impossible to get him out, but it's going to be difficult. And there's uh, other players in... There's Chuamani in, in Ligue 1, who is probably half the price. Uh, and there's other players that, have, that are out of contract soon uh, that kind of have to be dealt with as well. So what's the latest on the midfield? Yeah, they've got a lot of decisions to make. Similar to a lot of players who are out of contract in 2023. We've got Jorginho and Kante. Them two won't be getting, both of them won't be getting new deals. Kante, there's an acceptance in the Chelsea as a club that Kante is probably slightly past his peak now. But, you know, he if he wants to stay, he will be getting a new deal out of loyalty. But he's still a very good Premier League performer. But I think that we'll see Jorginho probably moving back to Serie A. That likely to be this summer. We know a lot of teams like him there, Juventus, etc. But Lazio is an option there um, with Sarri um, in charge there. And we'll come on to that, might in turn affect other deals, which we'll come on to later in the pod. But, yeah, so I think, George, I think there'll be a little bit of a mix there because, Conor Gallagher's coming back in here as well. I think Mason Mount will drop deeper. I think Mason Mount is so, so much of a better player in midfield. He's been forced to play in his forward role because of those inadequacies of the other players we've mentioned. But I think we could see a Mount Gallagher with Ian or the Jorginho will be gone, I think, so it'll be Kovacic and Kante. We could see that as a midfield three. I think that'd be outstanding. You know, Gall- Chelsea are getting a, a 75, 80 million pound player. I love Gallagher. I think he's a young player of the year in the Premier League this year. I think he's played a, a bigger role in Palace's success than Patrick Vieira would like to admit, but I think he's been absolutely magnificent for them. But the other player, yeah, Chumani is a player who Chelsea have liked. They almost signed him last summer, and I, I, I can guarantee they wish they'd done that deal now because they have got to play a lot more money for him now. He's playing for France now. He, he, he's a magical player, and I know some Chelsea fans would like Rice to be brought back, but Chumani is the one who they thought is ideal for them in the system. And I think that makes sense in terms of Rice. If he was playing an anchor rule, why would you give Kante a huge new deal? And Rice isn't desperate for Chelsea. You know, he would like the, his father's a Chelsea scene ticket holder, isn't he, we believe. But he has made it clear to the likes of City and United and Liverpool that he would move up north. And he's doing that for a reason. So I think too many, yeah, is their number one target in midfield, but they've got a lot of rivals emerging in Europe for him. I think Chelsea... Um, 
would like him more. And it, but I think they're in the front row of him. He's from he's at Monaco. You can get him for what sixty million euros. But I said there's a lot of interest now, and so. But if you sign any of these players, you know you're not going to have a clear run at any of them. I really so. Um, but and we know Chelsea scouts love him, and I would expect that. So that's a midfield there with Gallagher coming in. If we're starting three, you could see two new players there. But it's going to be a bit of um, a turnover there. But I think Tuchel he's seen this season. He needs to do that. He, he knows that. He needs to do that now. It's kind of strange to think that less than 12 months on from the Champions League final, we're talking about six, seven, maybe eight players that Chelsea are trying to get out or are losing on free transfers because they've not negotiated new deals. Their back line is going to be ripped apart. Mm-hmm. Potentially with Christensen, we still don't know what's happening with Azpilicueta long-term or Rudiger. I think Jorginho is probably a shoe in to go. I would play Matteo Kovacic over him any day of the week anyway. And as you say, Conor Gallagher coming back into the folds, Rise Chamonix. There's scope for lots of players going. Um, and I can see a couple of forward players going as well. And it's just remarkable that 12 months ago, Chelsea were in this position where they were champions of Europe. And they haven't been bad this season by any means, but we've seen lots of faults, haven't we? Well, they've, they've not hit the heights that people were expecting of them earlier in the season. Uh, they were well, they were tipped well, as In being... December, it was a three-horse race in December, wasn't it? Uh, I remember seeing them at Newcastle, which was around November, December. Some magnificent football, but I think losing James and Chilwell when they did was huge. I think that's something they've got to look at back up for those two. But... Even lost at home to Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal. it's terrific. But and that, but as you say, Scott, I think with these new owners, they've got to have to be better in the recruitment. So yeah, they might have gone and splashed on rice or whatever but if Chuchimini is a better fit and better value then that's perhaps what they are thinking they've got to think think better in terms of recruitment they can't just you know under Abramovich they might have bid for both players that's not going to happen now thinking better in terms of recruitment obviously Chelsea have uh, a lot of issues to sort around the takeover and that kind of stuff in the next few weeks so nothing can really happen until that is sorted out but Thinking better in the transfer market or thinking bigger? That's what's happening across, uh, just just down the road at Fulham, actually. They confirmed their promotion to the Premier League, back to the Premier League early this week. Uh, and, you know, they've got some amazing players in there. They've got Mitrovic up top, who is absolutely banging in the goals. And Graham is uh, quite confident that he'll hit the ground running when he comes back to the Premier League, even though he scored, I believe, three goals in the, his last Premier League spell in the league season, Toby. Was that right? Yeah, three. Yeah. I feel there's a bet coming on here. We'll, maybe we'll do that in the next few weeks between you guys. But uh, So Fulham are being ambitious. Is that right, Graham? So apparently, uh, well, this is what we're publishing uh, on nightyman.com. It should be out now uh, as you listen to this podcast. So check it out. It's on the website. Fulham have an ambition to bring a notable Serie A player in to West London, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic from Lazio. Yes. Well, long time. There is an interest from Fulham in signing the Lazio figure, figurehead for their team, 27. He's been there five years now from Genk. A player who is his own transfer He's a walking transfer story, Graham. Yeah, every, every summer we see this linked. And we know he is on the list of Juventus and Manchester United, but he's not number one or two. He's five or six. And we and we know that. And and there's a and he's, he's a lovely footballer. He he really is. But Fulham, you know, Mitrovic is very close friends with him. Mitrovic is loving life in London. He's got a huge contract. 
and it's one of these deals where people will dismiss it out of hand. Uh, I, know, I know you two guys were raised eyebrows when I first mentioned it, but there is an interest there. They are investigating whether they can do this deal. And Milankovic Savage does have an interest in coming to the Premier League. And is there a nicer place to go than a lovely trip to Craven Cottage and West London with that, with his with one of his best friends in the world? I I do not rule this out. You know, Fulham are going to spend big this summer. They did it last time. Yeah, they spent what thirty million on Anguissa, besides Seri from from Nice for a similar amounts. So they do, they, they've got a history of spending big when it comes to these players, and Fulham will give him the wages he wants. So. I see it in it's being explained to me why why couldn't Linkovic Savage come to England for 12 months and then if he does pull up trees like some would think he would, then he can move on. A bit like what about did he when did he Haman went to Newcastle for 12 months because no one else really were, were convinced and then he went to Liverpool. It could be a similar take to that, you know. I, I don't dismiss this one. I would think it's one to keep an eye on. And I think if if he does want to come to London, yeah. Big fish in a small pond, you could argue, but it's a good way to settle in in the Premier League, isn't it? If that is the case, and and also a little nugget on the bottom of this, his brother Vanya. Is this is for this Torino. is what I was uh, I was yeah when it, it, when Graham first told me about this, this was my first reaction. What the goalkeeper or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his goal is his brother who was first choice for Torino. I must admit, I didn't realize he was first choice anywhere, but his first choice for Torino in Serie A. He's had a great season, six foot eight massive massive figure and he is on Fulham's as we talked about list there he's on Fulham's long list for goalkeepers they need they want a new number one this season and they, they want Alphonse Sariola from Toby's West Ham and he spent he was there last time in the Premier League had a great season he loved it there so they think they will get him back but Milinkovic Savage's brother is on their list if they don't get him but yeah Milinkovic Savage a big name I do, I'm, I'm not as big a fan of him as you guys are. You know, he's 27 and still playing for Lazio for a reason. Mm. And I think he's he's gettable, I believe, for Fulham. And I think I would love to say this. If it makes Mitro, the mighty Mitro, even happier, go for it. Can I just propose this, Graham? Because we're going to go into debate mode here, right? <laughs> so we have Thomas Suchek, 27 years old, mm-hmm. 31 appearances this season in the Premier League, five goals. Uh, and last season, obviously, we mentioned he, he scored a few as well. Milinkovic Savage this season, 27 years old, nine goals, 10 assists in the league for Lazio. Similar? Because we were talking Suchek up quite highly. Yeah. And Milinkovic Savage, perhaps. Toby, I'll bring you in here because I, yeah. I, I rate him quite highly. Yeah, you know? Milinkovic Savage is a player that, I mean, I don't watch Serie A too closely, but I know he's one of the standout players. And when we actually mentioned this link to one of our Italian colleagues, his jaw almost hit the floor because he, and he's a Roma fan, and he rates Milinkovic Savage as the best midfielder in Serie A. And he cannot believe that Fulham would have the pulling power to be able to get him out of Lazio because he sees him as a Juventus calibre player. But I guess, as you say, Graham, he is there for a reason. Is it because Lazio have priced him out of a move? I've heard it is consistent. I've been to some Italian contacts. So, yeah, on his day, he is the best midfielder in Serie A. He just doesn't have his day very often. He's, he, he just lacks the consistency. And as we say, he, he's one of these players. And, and he had, a, we talk about Suchek having good Euros. Milinkovic Savage didn't. Uh, and that's the, I, I watched him closely. He was, 
pretty poor in that tournament. And I think that hit, hit him a bit as well, where some of these English clubs did look at him, got a real hands-on look at him, and he was very disappointing for them. He didn't stand out at all. And I think that has impact on him. And and he might, you know, if he does want this big English, if he does want to join one of these teams, then as I say, what, what better way to do it? Come come to the Premier League for 12 months and sure you are one of the best midfielders in Europe. Yes, indeed. I mean, it is important to point out that as much as, you know, we, at the end of the day, 90min.com is about news, about we've done plenty of opinion as well. That's what our podcasts are. That's what our channels are, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Important that we kind of bring context a lot along with it. Um, Obviously, we're reporting a lot more news now than we ever have before. <clears throat> and this um, is Mitchell Scott as well. It's a Mitchell is a big is a big part of this. He's a, yeah. he's best friends with him. He loves life in London. He can recommend it. If, if Mitchell wasn't at Fulham, this wouldn't even be on the table. It wouldn't even be a question because Mitchell has put it to Fulham that he could get him. So I think we need to remember this isn't just about Fulham going for one of the best midfielders in Europe. There are lots of tangibles here, and Mitchell is a massive part of this. And it's also important to know that. There's nothing wrong with a football club aiming high, mm. uh, and this is this is. And look at the money. Which... Look, look at the money they spent last time. Zinguisa cost over thirty million pound. The deal they did for Zinguisa would probably almost get Milinkovic Savage. That's how big a deal that was when they got him from Marseille and Seri. They spent an awful lot of money for them last time around, and that that is the worry I know for some Fulham fans. Yeah, they'd love this, but they'd like to see uh, one, two, three, maybe four defenders come in as well. Yeah, what, what um, I'd also say, sorry, just to say Mitrovic, I don't think would sell this as a potential idea to Milinkovic Savic unless he was fully invested in what Marco Silva was doing as a manager. Mm-hmm. He's obviously had a remarkable season. He's scored 40 goals in the championship, which is nuts. Fulham have scored 98 goals, and I think they've got four games of the season left. They've been by far and away the best team in that division, which is a stark contrast to the year before when Mitrovic couldn't get a game under Scott Parker for a good few months and his goal return was pretty shoddy. Things must have turned around significantly for Mitrovic to be saying, think about this. And it also indicates that there might be more of a coherent transfer strategy because Fulham did spend north of 100 million, but I think we can all look back on that last time and say it was a bit scattergun. Um, A lot of it was towards the end of the window. It was just getting... Because, bodied. well, they came up to the playoffs, didn't they, Toby? So a Fulham fan said to me, we had four weeks last time to prepare. Now yeah. they've got those extra months. And and Seri, I was just going to come back there and, and there was a headline, there's a, a story in the Telegraph from when Seri signed. Fulham had beaten Dortmund and Chelsea, just young Michael Seri. That's not, he was one of the most wanted midfielders in Europe when they signed him. Things didn't work out. But Fulham have got a history of this. And, you know, this London thing does play, does come into it. You know, it's it, 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 it's a massive appeal. And uh, that new stand on the Thames with the hot tubs up top, I'm sure the uh, it's an, an extra pulling factor for them as well. Uh, yeah, as I, as I was saying earlier as well, it's important to kind of distinguish here that, you know, this, this report will be published around the time this podcast comes out as well. So, uh, you know, go and check out the article. It's also pointed out in the article, obviously, that while Fulham are going to push for it, they hope that they can do it. It's not necessarily a guarantee that this will happen. This is just a club aiming high with, you know, a, a common player in there who's uh, kind of selling the move. And it really, Milinkovic's habits remains to be seen how many options he will have. He's been consistently linked with a move to Juventus, Real Madrid, United, etc., etc. 
And sorry for actually stopping my uh, my train of thought here, but as, as we record this, uh, Manchester United have confirmed the new first team manager, Eric Ten Hag. So I was we weren't planning to do a section on this today. Well, thank goodness, we got it right. Come Scott, through. It was I right I at the end. I thought you going to shock us. We got it right. We got it right. <laughs> so uh, guys, this has just come through now. Uh, I will look at what United's communications department has put through john murta director of or football director during the past four years at ajax eric has proved himself to be one of the most exciting and successful coaches in europe renowned for his team's attractive attacking football and commitment to youth in our conversations with eric leading up to the appointment we were deeply impressed with his long-term vision for returning man united to the level we want to be competing at and his drive and determination to achieve that we wish eric the best of luck as he focuses on achieving a successful end to the season with ajax and he will be joining in the summer. So we weren't going to do a section on this today, but Graham, we've been on top of this for some time now. Uh, obviously, Richard Pochettino and Eric Ten Hag were the two main candidates from a, a list of four. Um, and it quickly centred on Eric Ten Hag. He really impressed in the interview, didn't he? And uh, let's let's go down the path of will this work out i'll ask you both I'll, I'll come to toby first what's your outsider's perspective on this i think it's a smart appointment the entire time i've been saying eric ten Hag would not be in the frame for this job unless edwin van der sar who's ajax's chief executive thought he was up to the job his resume in holland can be scoffed at because people say that the eredivisie isn't a particularly competitive league that the win ratio doesn't mean too much that the style of football can be played in that league because PSV are really their only main challenges. But I've watched Ajax in European competition. They are a superb side. He develops and coaches players. And the one thing Manchester United desperately need right now is a coach, somebody who can pull the group of players that they've got together. And I don't dispute that at least half of them are not good enough to play for Manchester United. But Ten Hag will be able to mould some of these players and start to change the ethos of the club. And he has a winning mentality. And as I say, Van der Sar, I would imagine, has kind of pushed for this to happen because he feels he's the right man. And I think it's, you know, Pochettino was the other man in consideration. His stock has been potentially damaged by being at PSG, perhaps unfairly, because it's Champions League or bust while you're there. Um I see him sliding back to Spurs at some point in the future. I feel that's more where he's going to end up. And for Ten Hag, this looked like the obvious next step. And for United, it's maybe a sign that they are investing for the, the long-term future. Um, so I think it's a good move. It won't pay immediate dividends, but it's exciting for United fans. Yeah, and Graham, to wrap up here, we've obviously reported uh, on this for a while, as I've just said. We, we kind of come to the conclusion on this that Pochettino was perhaps the safe option and maybe got United to a consistent third, consistent fourth Champions League football. Ten Hag has a big ceiling, but he also has plenty of room to kind of, if he does fail, it'll be another massive big failure on the coaching front for United. But it's a, it's a risk, but potentially a risk worth taking. Yeah, obviously, it's not one I'd have taken. I'd have gone for Pochettino. I think it's a huge risk. I, I saw the way that Ajax went out to Benfica in the Champions League. They lost the Dutch Cup final to PSV. Uh, and, and, and and I did tweet this out. It's John Merton making this decision. It's the same John Merton who thought Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was the answer. 
It's the same John Murtry who's built this United team with Oli Gunnar. I think Oli Gunnar's getting off scot-free, by the way, for the state of United at the moment. I think he's getting off absolutely scot-free. Um, and I, I, I don't know enough about tonight. I don't know if he's got that voice. I don't think he has got the voice to dominate Old Trafford. And I worry massively for United with Newcastle coming up on, on the rails. Leicester will be better. Villa with Gerrard, I think, will make a huge leap forward in the summer. I, I really worry for United, I must admit. Well, as a United fan, I've, I'm done with worrying and hating football. Uh, I'm hoping for a new, fresh era, uh, a new, fresh wave of optimism. There's plenty of players who've got to leave. Ten Hag needs to be supported in the right way behind the scenes. Uh, a lot of turnover needs to happen. It's not going to be a quick fix, but hopefully United will be put on the right foot for the years moving forward. Uh, sorry, that... Uh, Caught us by surprise a little bit, even though we were actually expecting that to happen. Didn't expect it quite at the second that it came. But a little bonus section for you at the end there, if you're still listening. Can I, can I just point out one very worrying thing, Scott? Go on. Rennie, Rennie Mullenstein is, is now thought to be being considered as, as his assistant, together with Mitchell Van, Van der Graag, or whatever he's called. But Rennie Mullenstein, if he is being considered, I wonder if United can backtrack on this appointment. Do you want to go into more depth there, Graham? Well, if 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 you yeah, think that Rennie Mullenstein is the answer, what is the question? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about that past experience that United have been going by. They want to retain the culture and all this kind of stuff. It's very very important. Uh, so that's an understandable. Yeah, the only thing that matters move, is having somebody who was around during the Sir Alex Ferguson glory is. So Steve McLaren, the, the greatest English manager this century. That's who they should be going for. My good friend that's, Steve. That's the Middlesbrough fan in you talking, Graham. Let's let's wrap up anyway. We've done a lot of chat today. We've gone fifty, nearly fifty-three minutes, I think. Uh, so that's a little bit more than we bargained for. We were going to wrap up at about forty forty-five, but obviously that Ten Hag news caught us on the hop a little bit so i apologize for kind of stumbling over my words as i saw that come through uh but just a reminder please subscribe on all your major podcast platforms to the show uh talking transfers and follow us on twitter too my at is at underscore scott saunders graham is at under at graham bailey and toby is at toby underscore cudworth you can also visit 90min.com forward slash talking transfers as well. There should be a lot of content going on that page uh, for the weeks to come. So you can keep up to date with everything on the podcast and everything on the site there if you would like to. We'll be back next week for whatever uh, talking transfers and whatever the transfer scene is bringing us. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.